all welcome to today's podcast today we have emmanuel eads from nigeria with us and we will be discussing some questions around african tax landscape emmanuel has worked extensively on tax policy side in the last 13 years and have also served nigeria revenue authority and have worked extensively in the oecd working parties and it would be very good to hear some of his thought around our today's topic thank you emmanuel for agreeing to share your thoughts today with us uh, thank you uh, good to be here good afternoon everyone good afternoon coming to our discussion point different african countries are at different level of growth some countries are trying to keep pace with international tax issues and some not what do you think on the need for african countries to keep pace with international tax issues and the impact of the same on domestic revenue mobilization efforts thank you for the question um as it were different african countries like you pointed out at different level of growth um they also have different level of engagement with the global economy so you will realize that in africa the bigger economies like nigeria south africa in east africa you have kenya you have uganda and a couple of others they have bigger larger number of multinationals doing businesses in those countries so on the face of it those countries are more than need to take hold of those mnes and to tax them appropriately but then for the rest of the continent whether or not you have large numbers of multinationals doing business in your territory you, you could not operate uh, in isolation and that have even been more be made more prevalent or more relevant given the fact that the economy is also digitizing so even for the smaller economies the need for international for them to to take grabs of international taxation and to 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 connect it with the domestic tax revenue drive to ensure that the, the multinationals that have interactions or do businesses in the economy pay appropriate taxes they have continued that need they have continued to grow and that that's where we are we are saying and this is the message we have had for many african countries that when you are making your policies to tax the local enterprises ensure that that policy and their laws are effective enough to also tax their foreign counterparts these foreign counterparts operate some of them operate with subsidiaries some operate with branches in the local market and if you don't tax them appropriately one you may be putting the local enterprises in disadvantage because over a period of time they that are paying the right amount of taxes in view of others who may be shifting profit away and not paying as much tax in the local economy they may be unable to compete with them on certain metrics including price uh, uh, price points so this is actually how we look at it and it is our view that all countries big or small should look at their policies look at their laws ensure that all entities doing business local or international within your environment within your country within your jurisdictions are taxed adequately thank you and that's indeed a great uh, insight like you mentioned that some countries in africa are much ahead the race like uh, nigeria south africa while uh, kenya and ghana is 
still picking up and putting some efforts in picking up the international uh, tax regime pace while i even think that some countries are still grappling with economic instability or even to establish a stable tax uh, framework so uh, in those terms where country is still grappling with economic stability uh, problem what do you think uh, how could they move towards aligning their tax policy so uh, apparently i express my personal view as i'm not in a position to speak for nigeria but my experience working for nigeria revenue authority I, I would say that yes nigeria came to realize that its efforts in domestic revenue mobilization will not be complete unless the multinationals are equally taxed adequately we have also come to realize that multinationals play a very important role in the global economy uh, take 2016 for instance the data we have from oecd is very clear that in 2016 alone the multinational enterprises contributed more than 30 percent of the global gdp about 36 percent of global output they were responsible for more than 60 percent of global exports and we are also responsible for more than 50 percent of global imports that is to say nigeria mostly for the most part are import dependent country we have a large market there are lots of multinationals operating within our jurisdiction some in extractive industry others in other segments of the economy so it became very clear to people in government and people who make decisions that for us to get the, the revenue we need to fix the economy, provide business and novelling environment, and also provide basic amenities to our people that it was critical for us to get the taxation of multinationals right. This has been the major driver behind Nigerian involvement in global tax policy negotiations and reforms, at least from my perspective. These are things that I've seen driving them through the process. So now you ask the question, how would uh, other African countries learn from this? Uh, it, it's very clear. Like I stated earlier on, you cannot discriminate against your local enterprise. What is good for the guild is also good for the Canada. If the local enterprises must be taxed and taxed adequately, the MNEs also need to be taxed adequately. Many African countries are facing crises at different levels. Debt crisis, diseases, insecurity. Connecting all these crises is ability, the financial capability to change things. How do you change things without finances? And the, the solution to this question is simple. Domestic revenue mobilization. Get a sustainable framework for getting the fund you need and that sustainable framework nigeria and most other countries have seen it in taxation proper taxation taxation of everybody foreign national and anything in between so for the rest of african countries it will be very very important that they take a step back and see how they will learn from others and bring the multinationals to book as appropriate that will help them to raise more money sustainably. That may save them the burden of debt that I keep piling and mostly unsustainable as they were. So that's what I have to say about that.
yeah i would agree in that direction also just to add to what you said many african country need investment in capacity development also if they have to do uh, or set a proper tax framework or to even administer it or to an- enforce and even a uh, lot of development around the technology side is needed in the tax administration what are your thoughts around this and what has been your experience in uh, terms of uh, dealing with implementing some sort of tax technology solution in the tax administration or uh, for the taxpayer at large so um to, to start with capacity capacity is the foundation of everything when it comes to tax policy negotiation tax reforms um, etc so for negotiators for instance if you do not have capacity you would not know what is in the best interest of your country if you do not have capacity you would not know when a rule which is inimical to the economic interest of your country has been pushed to you or has been agreed and it runs in everything if you pick up some tax treaties negotiated in some crimes or in some jurisdictions in Africa, you will begin to understand the importance of capacity. So you go in and negotiate a treaty and negotiate away all your rights. And then you come home happy to report you now have a tax treaty with another country. Every clause in the tax treaty or almost every clause are favored the other parties and not your country. So. And you look at it, you you will see that no one, there's only very few people that could that could actually deliberately do this. Some are, some have done it with lack of capacity to understand what the real issues are. So it is critically important that African nations or all nations that seek to implement tax reforms start by building capacity. Start with your team, the negotiation team. The team that need to implement will also have need to have capacity for them to be able to implement. And that goes on and on. Now, the second leg of the question, which says, what are my experience in implementing technology which drive tax administration? I just need to say that for that, you will need to start from your Lego framework. It was the case with Nigeria that at a certain point when the management of the revenue authority really wanted to implement tax automations, bring in some technology to drive the processes, it was identified that there were legal challenges. So where we started working for the revenue authority then was to look at the laws as they were. What areas need amendment? What areas could be changed? And with that, the instrumentality of the Finance Act was used and certain areas of the law was amended, which made it very easy for the technology uh, implement, uh, for us to implement the deployment of technology in certain areas of tax oppression. And it's a paid off over time. Uh, that, that's just the, the experience I, I have there. And it is very critical because tax administration, like businesses, are moving from the brick and mortar style to digital approach. As the economy is digitizing, you also need to digitize your tax administration processes to become efficient. So in Nigeria today, the tax authorities have been able to, to implement technology in such manner that you could file and pay your tax returns over your laptops. This was not possible 
just a few years back. So that's where I think most Africans should move towards. One, build capacity. Capacity even in technology implementation with respect to tax administrations, build capacity with tax policy negotiation and implementation. Ensure that your officers are regularly trained and that they are trained with the necessary knowledge they need to do their task in the 21st century. Thank you. Yeah, indeed, very comprehensive and concrete uh, reply. And I don't think training, education, and building infrastructure and reviewing the legal uh, framework is very essential uh, for addressing the, these challenges. Coming to another question. Often uh, we hear that African countries are not satisfied with the African representation at global level discussion. For some of uh, even uh, we see an inclusive framework, not all African countries have participated. For some of those who are participating also, they feel that their voices are not correctly, not fully heard, I would say. Uh, what would you say regarding this? Well, coincidentally, um, I was part of the Nigerian contingent in the negotiation at the OECD. Uh, I bet uh, at a very mid-level, but I could see through the process uh, and I could relate to what has been made public, even by the lead negotiator for Nigeria, uh, which uh, then stated publicly, uh, Matthew Bonjibola, as well as even the minister, Nigerian Minister of Finance, uh, who stated back then that our voices we are not accorded the, the weight which they deserved at the OECD inclusive framework. Um, you could begin to imagine that to start with, they, they had a steering group, which Nigeria is also a member. But the steering groups uh, is not the ultimate decision-making powers when it comes to the platform. Uh, you, you, whatever mandate that the, the, the whole inclusive framework must get, uh, will come from the OECD G20 ministers, uh, uh, finance, and whatever work they have done or carried out will be approved by them. So the question goes back to, 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 to say, what happened to Nigerian Minister of Finance? If we are involved in this process, for instance, and a decision has been reached, and that decision is to be validated finally by, by certain ministers, why would my minister not be there to raise her hand, his or her hand to say, yes, I support this or I do not support it? And again, in 2021, when the first, uh, when the first statement was issued, Nigeria, Kenya, uh, Pakistan and other countries declined. And the question is, if what is the process for arriving at a decision at the OECD, uh, inclusive framework? If you say that the process is consensus minus one, or even consensus. Was there a consensus for you to issue the October 2021 statement on behalf of inclusive framework, even when Nigeria and other countries have declined? What were the issues that made the country that declined to decline? Nigeria was very vociferous in it by stating that, hey, we had challenges with the rules. The rules were too complex. The rules, the scoping of Pillar 1 was so high that the entities covered, at least in our own jurisdictions, were only a few. And the entities that are exploiting our economy, making billions of dollars as profit, are not in scope. And the rules have tied, is trying to tie our hands just to say, if you sign on to this agreement, you have agreed 
that in, in the place of taxing these less than 100 or 100 MNEs, you will not take any other action with, in taxing the rest of the, the thousands of entities which operate in our market and we see on day-to-day -day basis. So this was protested by some African representative in the course of the negotiation. The issue of the, the, the quantum of tax to be paid, it was, it was, it was, it was tagged at 25% for Pillar 1 Amount A. The African group, the African representative, including some known organizations in Africa that are tax-based, they, they, they were pushing between 30 and 35%. The same with the minimum tax of 15%. Some negotiators from Africa stated clearly that they wanted it around 20%. ATAF was one of those that also championed that, that perspective. But where is it? I can go on and on and on. You go to Pillar to you talk of the rule order. These were key issues that were highlighted by representative taking. Attention wasn't given to proper consideration wasn't given to it. You can tell me that negotiation is give and take. Yeah? It's give and take. It's full of compromise here and there to make forward, to make progress. And the work that the OECD Secretary and the Inclusive Framework are trying to do, I know it is no easy work to get people to agree on a direction. Multiple nations agree on a single direction. But the truth is, there were things that we are not taking that were the position of some African representative, which bites so deep that they felt that their voices were not actively heard. A fallout of it is now the current move to start um, to put up a framework for more inclusive engagement in tax policy negotiation at the UN. Many countries uh, are supporting the move to UN here for better voices to be heard, for especially for developing countries. What do you think additional solution here? Do you think better regional collaboration at African continent level could be also a better solution uh, and more African countries should combine together for the global negotiations? Already some organizations in Africa are doing uh, well in that direction like the ETAF. But would you think there is scope of more collaboration need there and uh, more countries need to come together and raise their voices? When we started, um, when the negotiation on Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 started, one of the reasons why most of us got involved and believed that it was a good approach is the fact that the issue of taxation of global digital economy is a global problem. It's, it is a multilateral issue. It is not just a problem of Nigeria or India or some Kenya, South Africa. It's a problem which most countries of the world are facing. So for a multilateral problem, you will naturally require a multilateral solution. But the challenge now is that when the multilateral solution is not solution enough, then you still have to fall back to your sovereignty as a nation to do what you ought to do to protect your tax base. Now, regionalism and global engagement, which approach is preferable? I think the two are not mutually exclusive. At the regional level, it is important for countries to come together and hold opinion, hold a direction. If you were members of single trading block, like the Africa is trying to build itself into true Africa, you need to talk about a certain level of harmonization or rule coordination as they were in terms of tax and fiscal policy. So 
But away from that, I think there's absolutely need for a more globalized framework or structure to take up the work that is currently being done by a few nations. Because the OECD inclusive framework is setting tax policies for the rest of the world. And the question is, who are in the mix? Who uh, were the political powers? Who determine what goes into a mandate and what doesn't go there? You go back to a few states. You go back to the OECD, you talk about G7, you talk about uh, some countries which I rather not mention. So if a few countries can do this at a global level, why not formalize it? Have that, have a similar framework at the UN, where every country, poor, big, small, large, would feel represented and adequately so. So this is where we are. The journalism, yeah, there should be people should talk to the people with common interests, should talk to countries with common interests, should talk to each other at regional level. They should bond together and hold common views and push uh, certain issues together. But at the global level, there's still a vacuum, which is currently being occupied by inclusive framework. And countries have come to say, ah, these things could be done better. If you go and read the United Nations Secretary General report, it's very clear. This is happening at Inclusive Framework today, but it's the better forum for it is the United Nations. And it should happen at a global level, not a regional level. Thank you. Yeah, you already mentioned, yeah, indeed, uh, that was a great insight. And you already touched on pillar one and pillar two. And uh, from our discussion, it seems that Africa will not gain much out of uh, the pillar solution. And uh, I've seen that many African countries over the last year have came around with different unilateral digital tax measures. Even from the regional point of view, ATAP did let, let down the guidelines where ATAP suggested that countries in Africa can go for digital service tax uh, in the range of 1 to 3%. But we see diverse range of measures in African countries. Some have digital tax, uh, digital service tax, some have VAT plus digital service tax. Nigeria like uh, have significant economic presence or uh, some countries have another mode of uh, digital uh, tax mechanism. What would be your thought around these? that whether again uh, some regional measures should be proposed like if i talk about eu we see more on digital uh, service tax most of the countries in europe though they have come out with their own law uh, but they have digital service tax as a mechanism for tax taxing digital economy as of now so what would be your thoughts around this question i will have to start by saying that the the challenges of digital economy is is in twofold it's been twofold because one, it has the indirect tax element, which is the VAT. Then it has the direct tax element, which have to do with income tax. And the solutions for these two problems are not necessarily one. Uh, take Nigeria, for instance. Nigeria have a VAT respond to the challenges of taxation of digital economy. It is called simplified registration and compliance regime. That regime is the regime of VAT that enables Nigeria to appoint entities outside Nigeria who supply digital goods and services to Nigeria. Because uh, by the tax law, using destination principle, VAT, VAT law, and then in view of destination principle, 
if you are in India and you are supplying service to Nigeria, and that service is consumed in Nigeria, that service is valuable in Nigeria. But the problem is, the, the service is, is not tangible, so you cannot see it at the border for customs to apply VAT at the border. So how do you collect the VAT? Some, some have used what you call revised charge, that the person consuming the service in Nigeria should charge itself the VAT and remit. Others have used simplified registration regime. Nigeria is using a mix of the two. So the primary obligation lies on the supplier, if appointed, to collect the VAT and then remit to Nigeria. If the, if the supplier of the service or digital good fails to do that, the, the consumer in Nigeria is not relieved of his uh, obligation to pay VAT on that service. So the person is expected to self-account for the VAT. Now, that is for the VAT. And I say this because some people confuse it with DST. Now, on the other hand, you have direct tax challenge, which is vis-a-vis -vis entities are earning income from our system, from our economy, without being proportionate tax or paying tax on such income. Now, to solve this problem, some countries have taken a part of DST. DST by design is to say, hey, if you are supplying goods of 100, if you are supplying a service of $100 to this economy, I want a DST of 2%, 3%, 5%. Now, why people confuse this approach with VAT is because they say similar, they share similar elements. Because the supplier of digital goods, digital goods or service, may simply gross up the amount of tax that you want it to pay and include it in the cost of the service. When that happens, of course, it, by oppression, it's more or less just like VAT. But the target originally is not to have an indirect tax collected, but to have a tax on the income, to have a bite on the income of the entity that is non-deriving income from the economy. This is one of the reasons why most countries would rather not go the way of DST. But I must tell you, it is better than taking no action at all. For Nigeria, Nigeria implemented significant economic presence. The significant economic presence is not without its own challenges. But simply put, what the regime is saying is, yes, we can see you do business and make income from Nigeria. You may not have a subsidiary, you may not have a branch, but we can see you, you are earning money from this economy. By the virtue of Nigerian Company Income Tax Act, Section 13, read together with Section 9, income derived from Nigeria is primarily taxable in Nigeria. So the question is, have you derived income from Nigeria? That's the starting point of the regime. If you have derived income, do we consider this income significant enough to say you have a business presence in Nigeria? And that's what the rule says. If that income for any given year meets certain monetary threshold, we expect you to come and file your returns if you have to and pay the appropriate taxes. If you fail to pay those taxes, perhaps because you do not have fiscal presence, we have avenues 
that the law enables nigeria have a venue that the law enables with which through which they can collect those taxes one of it is lane they can have a lane on any fund which is agreeable to you secondly they can apply withholding tax on any income or any money agreeable to you or payable or due to be paid over to you from any entity in nigeria so these are key issues around nigeria scp but the major challenge is that nigeria scp does not apply to entities from jurisdiction with which Nigeria have tax treaties. This is because of Section 5 of Nigerian Company Income Tax Act, which makes the tax treaty superior to our domestic tax laws. And for that, if we have tax treaties with a Nigeria have tax treaty with a given entity, with a given jurisdiction, entities coming from there will only be taxed with respect to the tax treaties. And when you go to those tax treaties, the threshold for taxation says fiscal presence and with the time threshold and everything. It's only when you meet that PE text under Article 5 of such treaties that you become taxable in Nigeria. So this has been a challenge because in the UNANSI entities that will now root their business operation, though the regional countries do not have tax treaty with Nigeria, they will now root their businesses through jurisdiction with whom Nigeria have tax treaties. So, how to solve the problem? Implement BEPS. Sign the MLI, domesticate it. Stop treaty shopping. Because with proper action taken against treaty shopping, at least the entities from countries where you do not have tax treaties will not take advantage of the loopholes. And I think Nigeria is moving to do that. Yeah, Nigeria is too much ahead, I would say, since you've touched on the points, so I come back to the point. Uh, one is, yes, Nigeria SCP rules are very broad, but still, I would think there are multiple uh, computational challenges and interpretational challenges, which multinationals still face with the rules. And uh, in uh, experience from the tax treaty, yes, uh, countries where there are tax treaty companies might uh, still have a fallback of Article 5, but I think Nigeria does not have many tax treaties signed. Uh, and coming to the question, since you raised the Nigeria discussion, what would you think uh, that uh, over the years, Nigeria has been very active in all-inclusive framework, which we already discussed. And there have been many other international development and adoption of different rules or domestic rules uh, from the Nigerian side. Uh, could you throw more light around this? Maybe uh, could be different best action plan, how they implement it. What were the challenges? What other African countries could learn from those uh, from the Nigerian experiences? Thank you for the question. As I stated earlier on, um, it is the realization of the importance of international tax in helping you raise the resources domestically that you use in country development that should be a major driver in one's involvement or otherwise and international tax treaty negotiation or international tax reform. For Nigeria, I have been a witness and what I observe is that parties who are involved in pushing this process had clear understanding of this, the importance of tax generally to country development and also sustainable financing of the local economy, uh, infrastructure, social amenities, and the rest of it. So, what can the African, other African countries learn? 
um, I would say that these issues are very relevant. I have seen a country that came out to say, why are our revenue staff always going out? Nobody should travel for a certain number of years where our tax is local. Yes, originally, maybe in, in, the, in the early 19th century, tax is local. Because for you to do businesses, you must come with your goods to the local market. And we can see, the taxman can see you display those goods. He can see you sell it. All the elements of production, marketing, and sales, they are all visible to the fiscal eye. But this is 21st century, where things have gone digital. Where certain Emmanuel Eze can be in Abuja and other goods from China and possibly use a career that is based in US to, to bring it to me in Abuja. So the, the global economy, the, the economy have become globalized. They have become digitalized. The logistic, the advancement in logistic infrastructure and, and delivery has made the world smaller and more compact than it ought to be. So it's no longer such time that you will say all our taxes are local. How many of your entities are producing locally? How many of them that are producing are originally from your economy or from your jurisdiction? So these are key issues which countries must start to contend with. And it's going to even get more interesting. Looking, looking at Africa, for instance, you are now trying to push towards a common market. You have a common market, free movement of goods and people through the borders of 54 countries in Africa, for instance, you must sit back and think how you will tax people who come from across the border to do business in your market. So these are key considerations which I advise African countries to have. The time to start is now. The best way to start, as we said earlier on, is to build capacity. Get people who know about international tax, get people who could understand the key issues and the weight of those issues and start engaging. Thank you. Yeah, indeed. Uh, regionalism, common market, and uh, combining the forces to emerge as a bigger player would be the way forward. Thanks, Emmanuel. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's podcast, but you, your message was very clear that uh, African countries should combine forces, come together, adopt better tax policies. Thanks for uh, uh, taking out time today for sharing some of the points today. Thank you, Napo, for having me. Um, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Uh, wishing you and the listeners best of luck. Thank you.